open our Bibles, we're studying the names and titles of Jesus Christ found throughout the Word of God. We're going to, to quickly zip through a couple tonight and then get to one that will occupy four church services. So we'll start in Matthew 23, Matthew chapter 23. Jesus Christ is known in Scripture as Rabbi. Jesus is known in Scripture as Rabbi. You probably heard the term, but did you know the Bible defines the term so that you know what it means when someone is called or when they request to be called Rabbi? Matthew 27, verse number 7. No, 20, I'm sorry, 23. Did I say 23? All right, 23, Matthew 23, verse 7. Not 27, 3, 23, 7. Matthew 23, verse 7, uh, these, he's rebuking the scribes, Pharisees, because they love, verse 7, greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be ye not called, be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. So to call one Rabbi is to call one your master. And Jesus said, you shouldn't refer to anyone but Christ as your master. Now, come to John chapter number 1. If it's wrong to call anyone but Christ rabbi, then we establish that Jesus is Christ by the number of times he permitted people to call him rabbi. If the only person you're supposed to call rabbi is Christ... And men called Christ rabbi, or called Jesus rabbi, without being rebuked or corrected, then he is establishing that he is the very Christ. John 1 verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. He didn't say, as he said to the people who were calling the Pharisees rabbi, you shouldn't do that. He didn't say, as he said to those who were calling the scribes rabbi, you shouldn't do that. When they called him rabbi, he just responded to their question and invited them to follow on because he was Christ and never denied it. In John 1.49, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. He didn't say, Don't call me rabbi. He said, You know, you got that right, but <laughs> there's a lot more coming to prove to you that I am who you think I am. John chapter 3, verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Well, then you should have believed on him, Nicodemus, all of you. Uh, John 3, 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. And ye yourselves bear me witness. And I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And so, verse number 30, 
Uh, three, he hath received his testimony as set to his seal that God is true. Freedom God has sent, speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So they come to John the Baptist and say, Rabbi. And he said, no, wait a minute. I'm not Christ. I'm just sent to declare the words of God. Notice Jesus never corrected anyone who called him Rabbi. He corrected those who called other men rabbi, and John the Baptist corrected those who called him rabbi. So what do you, he said, well, wait a minute, I'm not Christ. I'm just proclaiming him. John chapter 6, two more quickly. John 6. And then in verse 24, they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not. Because, so, who, who did they ask for? Rabbi. He said, well, you're seeking me for the wrong reason. He didn't deny he was the rabbi. He is the master. And then in John 20, following his resurrection, John chapter 20. John 20. This is real beautiful. Uh, touch here. Jesus turned unto her, or Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. So three times we have Rabbi defined for us, but here, Rabboni, the feeling, the emotion uh, placed into that expression by Mary, who, who loved him so much and was so glad to see him alive. So, uh, we, we might follow the example of men, as we should. And we might allow the, the godly men and the aged women within the body of Christ to instruct us and to, to direct our steps and to help us along the way. But we would never refer to any of them as rabbi, because we would not call any of them master, because we would not mistake any of them for Christ, we would not believe that any of them was Messiah. And so what you find in our day is you find religious people continue to carelessly use the very titles and designations that Jesus forbade them to use 2,000 years ago showing their total disregard for the Lord they claim to represent. How do I respect you as a minister of Jesus Christ when you ask me to call you Father and Jesus Christ said, call no man on earth to Father? How do I respect you as a, as a minister of God when God's Son said, don't call anyone Rabbi but Christ? And so what happens is all of these uh, men who like to be called and recognized by these flattering titles, they reveal their desire to stand in the place of Jesus Christ. Rather than be a minister of Jesus Christ or a teacher or preacher of Jesus Christ, they want to replace Jesus Christ and stand in some way or another as your means of access to God. And so we just don't do those things. We, we avoid them altogether. And uh, it... it, it it upsets people, but I don't know why it would. If I was if I was call, having people call me rabbi and somebody point out to me from the scripture that that was forbidden practice, I would like to think that I would change. 
And if someone was was calling me father, despite the fact that it'd be rather odd to be called father when you're not allowed to marry and have children, uh, the fact that when somebody showed me from the Bible that Jesus forbid me using that title, I would like to think that I would change. But see, that's because I think the Bible is supreme, and other people believe their religion is supreme. And and that, that East and West never seem to, to run into each other. All right, so the Lord's called Rabbi. Next, he is called the Root or Root. And this is, this is interesting for uh, the truth that we'll find in the fifth verse that we'll look at. But the first is Revelation chapter number 5. Let's establish first of all that the name of Jesus Christ or one of the names of Jesus Christ is Root. And you'll see this with a capital R, a name for our Savior. The Bible says in Revelation 5, 5, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Verse number 6, In the midst of the elders stood a lamb. So we have the Lion of the tribe of Judah, we have the Lamb, and we have the Root of David. They're all the same person. They're all the ones sitting on the throne. They're the one, uh, their names for the one that we call Jesus. He is the Root of David. How, how is that important? First of all, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Let's start at verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 10. And in that day, there should be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So there is coming a day when not just the Jews, but the Gentiles will seek to this one who came forth into the world as a root of Jesse. Also, Revelation 5, 5, the root of David. David being son of Jesse. Okay, keep your finger in Isaiah and look at the cross-reference in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. To it, the ensign, which is the root of Jesse, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Now, when the Holy Spirit reaches back for that verse in Romans 15, we read, starting at verse number 9, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, Isaiah 11 said, the Gentiles will seek him, and his rest shall be glorious. How will the Gentiles enjoy glorious rest? Because having sought 
the root of Jesse, the root of David. When they find him, they will trust him. Revelation 15. And having trusted him, they will enter into rest and glory. So that future day, that, that kingdom age that's coming, it's not just a Jewish kingdom. It'll be a worldwide kingdom of Jews and Gentiles ruled over by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, coming back to Isaiah 53. He's the root of David and the root of Jesse with regards to reigning on the throne and ruling over men, both Jews and Gentiles. But he's spoken of as a root in another context. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, you know that Isaiah 53 will go on to talk about, in, in the greatest detail of any Old Testament passage, what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. But what we find in Isaiah 53, 1-3, is why men did not believe his report. Where would a root of Jesse, for, for, for what place would a root of Jesse be, be bound? The throne. For what seat would a root of, Je, of David be destined? The throne at Jerusalem. Ruling and reigning as a king seated at Jerusalem. But then we looked, and in apparent weakness... He is carried captive. He is beaten before Pilate. He is stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And without answering a word or lifting a finger to fight back or defend himself, he dies and is laid in a tomb. And for that cause, the world esteems him not. Well, how can that man be the king? Look at him dying in weakness. How can that man rule all nations with a rod of iron? He can't even get himself out of one little jam like this. They, they killed him. They put him to death. Insomuch that two of his disciples walking on that Emmaus road said, well, We trusted it had been he which should have delivered Israel. But if you, in case you haven't heard the news, he was delivered to, in the hands of the Romans. They, they killed him. Our, our leaders killed him and put him to death. And we, we, we thought he was the one, but I guess he wasn't. And what they failed to understand, verse number 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is the root of Jesse, and he will sit on that throne. He is the, the root of David, and he will rule and reign over Jew and Gentile alike. But he is also a root out of dry ground, who came to suffer and bleed and die in apparent weakness to save us from our sins. And what, what could not be understood by those who read the Old Testament prophets, even by the prophets themselves who prophesied, 
was the space of time between the first and second comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first to suffer and die, the second to rule and to reign. Now, let's turn the Bibles to something very significant. Luke chapter number 8, which has cross-reference in Matthew 19 and also in John chapter 4, but we'll look in Luke chapter number 8. Let's go all the way back. Luke 8, once you find it, we'll go all the way back in our minds to Jesus Christ at age 30, age 31, age 32, age 33. What is the hope and expectation of the people of Judah and Judea? This is the king who will establish God's kingdom on this earth put down our enemies, and establish a kingdom of peace and righteousness. That's what they were looking for. And when he didn't meet their expectations with regard to physical life, they turned and walked away. They missed entirely that he had come to give them spiritual life. Now watch what the Bible says in this, that's come to be known as the parable of the sower. Verse number 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Now come to the interpretation. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Why do so many people seem to believe, but the first time they are tempted... They go right back to the old sin, right back to the old life, right back to the old crowd, right back to the old kinfolk. Why is that? Luke 8 says quite significantly in verse 13, they have no root. Now, who's the root? It's Jesus Christ. They believed... But as we saw Sunday morning, they didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in a gospel that might might make them rich, and when it didn't enrich them, they walked away from it. They believed in a gospel that might solve their life's problems, and when they found they still had problems, they walked away from it. They believed in a, in a gospel or any faith that, that might uh, cause them to prosper and, and so forth. And when it didn't happen, they fall by the wayside. Why? They came looking for someone to help them establish a kingdom on this earth. And when it turns out that who they should have been looking for was a root out of dry ground, despised and rejected of men, they went right back to the old temptations because that's not what they were looking for. I'm telling you, I, I have been disappointed so many times as I stood outside the church house on a Sunday morning waiting for that man that so enthusiastically prayed that prayer on a Thursday afternoon and he never showed up. 
and you go Sunday afternoon to make sure he's okay and he won't even come to the door and you think, well, what happened here? I'll tell you what happened. He prayed the prayer on Thursday. He got invited to go out drinking on Friday. He woke up drunk on Saturday and he's embarrassed to face you. What happened? No root. No root. He prayed a prayer. He wanted something miraculous to happen. He wanted to snap his finger and have all of his problems and all of his troubles go away. Never be tempted again. Never have to deal with life again. And when that didn't happen, he turned his back on every bit of it. There's something, there's something about baptismal waters. They're very dangerous. If you're not truly saved, they tend to make you vanish into thin air. I've put more people under who made a profession of faith and never seen them again than I could count. And you see, them, you see an eye peeking out from behind a curtain. You know somebody's in the house. When I was younger and still thought I'd do some good, I'd just stand on the porch and I'd yell and say, you, you can peek out the window all you want. I'm not leaving until you open this door. Well, eventually you leave because they're not opening the door. <laughs> just not coming to the door. So, so listen, here's, what, here's, here's the thing. We're all going to be tempted. But those that get saved don't fall away when they're tempted. And it's not because they're strong. It's because they have the root. If you don't have the root, there's no more, there's no, no more facing temptation after you say a prayer or go to church once or twice or get baptized than there was before. It's just you by yourself facing temptation and you're not going to win. Without the root... You're going right back where you were. And so who is the root? The root is Jesus Christ. Significant in that parable. These have no root. All right. So that's, that's rabbi. That's root. Now, we're going to start tonight. And we'll need Sunday morning and Sunday night and next Thursday night to cover Jesus Christ as the rock. Under, under that heading, we're just going to put them all together. He's the rock. He's the stone. He's the headstone. He's the cornerstone. That's all Jesus Christ. Rock, stone, cornerstone, headstone. And we'll look at, we'll look at the, the rock on Sunday morning, what the rock does. On Sunday night, we'll look at, at the rock in the relationship to the New Testament Christian. And then, Lord willing, next Thursday night, we'll look at Jesus Christ as the headstone, the stone, the chief cornerstone. But tonight, let's go back into Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. And we'll go way, way back in time to 1981. Yeah, I mean way back. Back in 1981, my buddy Alfred and I spent about nine, it seems like is nine hours. I know it was all day. I'm not sure how many hours it was. It seemed like all day. Making a 30-minute recording on a cassette recorder for the very first Sunday morning preaching of the cross Radio broadcast. What a time that was. We, we went on at 8.30. There was a man on the radio who was a hyper-Armenian. Hyper-Armenian. Alan Wingate of the New Smyrna Church of God. 
And he'd come on the radio and he'd say, if you still sin, you're not, you're not saved. I got saved in 1963. I haven't sinned since. Not one time, not one time, not one sin since 1963. That's what real salvation is. People at church had bumper stickers on their car. Said, if you still sin, you're not saved. So he'd come on and preach that for 30 minutes. And then we'd come on the air. That was 8.30 to 9. We'd come on from 9 to 9.30 with the preaching of the cross. And then from 9.30 to 10, a hyper-Calvinist would come on and say, don't pay attention to either one of those guys. If you were foreordained to be saved for the foundation of the world, you're going to heaven. If not, you're going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. So you'd get up on Sunday morning and listen to the radio for an hour and a half and give up. It was just a mess. So anyway, this is uh, what I'm going to show you here. This is the first sermon I ever preached on a radio. Right here out of Psalm 32, On the Rock. All right. Do, uh, did I say Psalm? Uh, Deuteronomy 32. That's why it took nine hours to make the recording. <laughs> now I make a mistake. We just laugh about it and I go on and say it again. But back then we stop, erase it, back it up, do it again. We didn't have all this computer stuff, you know, where you edit out everything. You had a cassette tape, and you just back it up, and then you got to listen, make sure you get the right stuff. So that program probably sounded like, good morning, this is Click. The preaching of the Click. Cross radio, Click. <laughs> Start and stop that thing. I wish we had some of those old uh, recordings. That'd be, that'd be a blessing. We prayed about that thing, about going on the air, and we went to the, um, went down and talked to, Brian told me, he was, well, what Brian told me at first? It was the station manager. We went in there, and this guy, you talk about an all-around, all-around fella. We went in there, and he had this, this come on, this is 80, 1980. And this guy had on this white leisure suit, and his shirt unbuttoned down about to his belly button. And it's pulled open, and he's got a chain around his neck with a Star of David on it, and a 32nd degree Masonic ring. And we went in there and said, we'll buy some airtime to preach the gospel. When worlds collide. And uh, he said, well, as fate would have it, we just had a 30-minute spot come open. And he put that piece of paper out there, and he said, you can have it for six months for $500, Sunday morning, 30 minutes, six months, $500. And we said, we don't have the money. And he said, well, that's, that's what you do. You come on the air, and you tell people, and they send the money in. Just go ahead and sign the contract. And, and we told him, said, no, if the Lord wants us on the air... He'll provide the money. And so we'll, it, it, we'll take your contract and we're going to go home and pray and see if God wants us on, on the radio. And if he does, we'll come back with a signed contract and the money. Now, this is how this thing started. This is why we don't have an offering plate. This is why we don't. So anyway, so we went home. We prayed about that thing. And in the next six days, elderly ladies walked up to the two of us and handed us money totaling just over $500 and said, we hope someday God will let you preach on the radio. And so we went back the next week, gave the guy the contract, gave him the, the money for six months on the radio. And we've been on, now Now we're on seven days a week and we're on uh, three, three continents, maybe four, right now four continents and all over the United States. We've not spent one minute of radio time asking for money. Never have. Never have asked anybody but God. And God's paid the bills. And so, I don't know how she knows if something's God's will. He said He'd supply all our need. 
And so we just always figured if, if it's a need, he'll supply it. And if he doesn't supply it, it's a want. And so, so that's, anyway, that's how that got started. And this was, this was the first program. All right, turn your Bibles to <laughs> Deuteronomy 32. <laughs> There's some of those old sermons in there. <laughs> Amen. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. See the capital R right there? That's God. God's the rock. Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Yours is not. Mine is not. Nobody's is, but His. He's the rock. The rock's perfect. The work of the rock is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. No matter who's listening to my voice right now. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. But the rock, all His ways are judgment. He always gets it right. You can take anything to him, he'll give you the right answer. You, you can ask direction in any matter, he'll give you the right advice. His ways are always right. They're, uh, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Those Greek gods, those Roman gods, those made up gods, those invented gods, those tribal gods, they're all gods of iniquity. They justify sin or wink at sin or pardon sin or they don't judge sin or punish sin, but our gods without iniquity. You're going to stand before a holy God, not an unholy God. You're not going to argue with Him or reason with Him or plead your way around Him. He doesn't have iniquity. He's got no fellowship with your sin. He's got no tolerance for your transgression. He's without iniquity. Everything He does is righteous. Everything He does is pure. Everything He does is holy. He's a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. Hey, you think one thing and God says another, he's right, you're wrong. You want to do something and God, God doesn't want you to do it, he's right, you're wrong. You want to stop doing something and God says keep doing it, he's right, you're wrong. Just and right is he. Want to, want to live a good life and a happy life? You just get to that rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. He's a God of truth. He's a God without iniquity. He's a God who's just. He's a God who's right. Praise the Lord. You believe that? All right. So what happens? Well, here comes this, this great God. And the Bible says in verse number 9, The Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in the waste and howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him. There was no strange God with him. Isn't that a blessing? Now, completely out of context, here's what you'd preach if you'd just been saved a couple of years. You'd say, praise the Lord, we're his people. And we are. Verse 9, you his people, I'm his, I'm his people, I belong to him. Now, I know that's Israel in the context, I know that now. I didn't know it then. And you know, I was in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. And the Lord did come and get me and lead me. And he did put his wings over me and protect me. And he did lead me. And, and thank the Lord, there's no strange God with me. And no strange God with him. He did it all by himself. Hallelujah. Now, here's what happens. Verse 15, but Jezurin waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed 
the rock of his salvation. You know what happens? We have no blessings and God blesses us. And we have no hope and God gives us hope. We have no peace and God gives us peace. We have no joy and God gives us joy. We have no light and God gives us light. We have no life and God gives us life. And after a while, we get comfortable with all those blessings. And we settle in, start enjoying all those blessings. And then the Lord says, get up and go to work. And we kick at Him. And the Lord says, humble yourself. And we kick at Him. And the Lord says, you're getting careless about your Bible reading. We kick at Him. And the Lord says, you're not faithful to attend like you used to be and we kick at him and we look at all God's blessings and all God's goodness and, and we just we wallow in the grace of God and the Lord says get up and we don't get up and the Lord says move and we don't move and the Lord says you're not zealous like you used to be and we shrug it off you know why because we come to the place where we lightly esteem the rock We don't deny Him. We don't reject Him. We still acknowledge the rock is the rock of our salvation. But He is not esteemed like He was when He brought us out of Egypt. He is not esteemed like He was when we first opened the pages of that Bible. He is not esteemed like He was when we first got into a great church and got excited about it. He's not esteemed like He was when we planned our schedule so we didn't miss anything that had to do with God. And now he's blessed us with a good family and, and our marriage is better than it ever was and our, and our kids are doing pretty good and, and, and we got a great job, thank the Lord, and answer to prayer and, and all these blessings of God and yet, in our estimation, he's far more lightly esteemed than he was in the days when you would admit, I was once really on fire for God. I was once completely sold out to Jesus Christ. And now I'm just kind of resting in His goodness. And now I'm just kind of content in all of His blessings. And uh, what do you mean? You mean you're kicking? Wax fat? Well, you know, I'm just... No, no, no. Let's be honest about it. He used to be the rock. And now he's, yeah, he's the rock, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, nothing against him, no, 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 I got nothing against God, I mean, God's, God's good and all that, I mean, he's good all the time, you know, just, just don't need him interfering in everything. Lightly esteem, lightly esteem the rock. Well, what's the danger? Verse number 16, they provoked him to jealousy. With strange gods, with abominations, provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. You know what happens? You start lightly esteeming God. That money used to give to missionaries is now being given to Best Buy and Radio Shack and, and uh, Amazon and all the rest of it. Trying to find something to excite you like God used to. Trying to find something you can show all your friends like you used to show them something you read in the Bible. Trying to find something to keep you up at night uh, playing with it like you used to stay up at night studying the Bible. He's still the rock of their salvation, but when you start lightly esteeming Him, you start looking to other gods to do for you what the rock used to do for you. You start looking to other things to bring you the satisfaction and the joy and the happiness that the rock used to bring you. Come on, let's be honest about it. It's called backsliding. And when you start lightly esteeming the rock of your salvation, the Bible says in verse 18, Of the rock that begat thee, 
Thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. What a decline. He is the rock. The rock lightly esteemed. Thou hast forgotten the rock. You know, when I preached this first sermon on the radio in 1981, there were a group of young men who were so excited that Sunday morning when I came in and said, man, that was great preaching on the radio. That was, and, and, and that Friday night, they went out with me and stood in front of the glass bar on Flagler Avenue in New Smyrna Beach, and we passed out gospel tracts and told people about Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, five of those six young men haven't been in church in so long, they wouldn't know what church to go to if they decided to go Sunday morning. They hadn't looked at a Bible they hadn't spoken to anybody about Jesus. They just, and, and it's, it's not that in their heart they got up one day and said, I'm against God. They just got so wrapped up in their new family and so wrapped up in their job and so busy spending money on stuff and going here and doing this and doing that that before long, what they never thought possible became a reality. They forgot God. You don't believe it? Watch them put their, put their face in their dinner plate just like a dog would. They used to pray and thank God for they ate that food. Watch them now when they get blessed, get a raise on the job, or get a good report from the doctor. They just they just said, well, that sure was lucky. Or I deserve that. They never stopped and thanked God. They used to thank God and found a quarter on a sidewalk. Now they get a 30% pay raise on the job, and they don't even bow the knee. They've forgotten God. Man, all the people that sat under this roof, all the people sat inside these walls, what could be done for Jesus Christ in this town around the world if all the people used to say, He is the rock! weren't out there somewhere tonight living like there wasn't even a God in heaven. Now, you don't go from He is the rock to forgetting about God. Listen, listen tonight. I'm glad you're here. Listen, you're here in a midweek crowd on a Thursday night, ran from work, ran to school. But I'm telling you, there's a step between he is the rock and forgetting God. It's lightly esteeming the God of your salvation. And if you're in that lightly esteemed point right now, you're going to either turn around and go back to he is the rock, or you're going to keep heading the wrong direction until you've forgotten about him. And don't think you can't. Have you not, listen, in this town, do you not run into people in Walmart that used to be as zealous for Jesus Christ as you are, who are embarrassed to see you? I chased a guy one night up and down the aisles of the Winn-Dixie store as he tried to figure out what to do with the case of beer he had under each arm as the preacher came around the corner. And, and here he goes off scooting down this way. So I'd go around and head him off. And he'd turn and go the other way. And I, I'd go around and head him off. And I was younger then. I could, I'd keep it up for a long time. And finally I saw him. He just, he just set him right down the aisle. He couldn't get back to where they belonged. He just set him down headed for the front door. And I called his name. I said, hey brother, you forgot your beer. You know, that guy used to go out with a Bible under one arm and tracks in his hands and tell people about Jesus. What happened? Well, till the preacher walked in the store that night, he'd forgotten about God. 
He's the rock. He's still the rock. But you can be unmindful of the rock. Didn't it, Look, it didn't say they're against him. They're just not thinking about him. It didn't say they don't believe in him anymore. They just don't think about him. Hey, you know what you're going to do Saturday night? Whatever it is, that decision will be made after you think about God. Whatever you're going to do tomorrow afternoon, you're going to do it after you think about God. But there are plenty of people who used to sit in these church pews and church pews just like this who don't even think about God anymore when they decide what to wear, what to buy, where to go, what to do, what kind of language to use, what to... Come on! It's not because they're, they're, they never believed. It's not because they, they don't know better. They're just not thinking about it. I, I, don't want, I don't want to even get to the lightly esteemed stage. That's too close to the unmindful stage. Mm-mm. Lord help us. All right, finally, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse number 29, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock, small r, is not as our rock, capital R, even our enemies themselves being judges. Now, here's, here's the fourth thing in Deuteronomy 32 about the rock. You know why people want a God they made with their hands? Because He doesn't deal with them when they sin against Him. You know why people want an imaginary God? Because He doesn't deal with them when they sin against Him. But our rock, He's not like their rock. If He is your rock and you forget about Him... He will have some way or another to make you remember Him. He'll get your attention. He's not like those other gods who aren't real. He's a real God. And a real God is not going to let you ruin the rest of your life without trying to interfere. So these people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and I do this, and it never bothers me. I, I, don't, I don't know that you have a rock. You've got a small R rock, but you don't have a capital R rock. Because you had a capital R rock when you profess the name of Jesus Christ, once lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, and now you're about to move in with that woman you're not married to. The real rock's going to say something to you about that. The real rock's going to deal with you about that. He's not like their rock. Their rock just sits in a box waiting for you to take him out and eat him on Sunday morning. Their rock just sits in the woods waiting for you to come burn a fire in front of him. Their rock just floats around in the trees and the rain waiting for you to light a candle or something. But, but the real rock, he's going to come look for you. Hey, where you been? <laughs> what you been doing? Remember me? <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> So, my sermon that morning was called The Portrait of a Backslider. And I got to church that Sunday morning and walked in. This, this uh, girl, she came walking up and she said, Thanks for the radio program this morning. Now I know how to backslide. <laughs> that wasn't the intent. Where are you tonight? Is he, is he your rock? He is the rock. Or 
Is he the rock lightly esteemed? Not likely if you're here tonight, he's the rock of whom you're unmindful. But if, you've li- if you're lightly esteeming the rock tonight, I don't want you to look in this auditorium this evening. I want you to look beyond it at people who once sat right where you're sitting. And look at where they are tonight. And see what a short step it is between from lightly esteeming the rock to being unmindful of the rock. And he's not like he's not like their rocks. He'll he'll do his best to get your attention should you forget about him. The rock. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I've got a rock. And we'll see on Sunday who he is and, and what he does, but just for tonight, where are you? The rock, lightly esteemed, unmindful. Which one? If you're not at, he is the rock. That'd be a place to get back to.